name is Michael Tuck, and I'm the associate pastor here at Bacon's Castle Baptist Church. We are a local church in Surrey, Virginia, dedicated to making disciples of Jesus Christ. This is the weekly podcast that we put out for our local church family and the church as a whole. We hope you enjoy this week's podcast. President George W. Bush decided that he was going to do some public relations in uh, Washington, D.C., so he went to a nursing home just to visit in the nursing home, and he began the tour walking down the main hallway, and he passed a little old man that seemed not to notice him, and sensing that, the president, he backtracks a little bit and says to the, to the gentleman, he says, do you know who I am? And the old man looks up from his walker and says, no, sir, but if you go to the front desk, they'll be able to tell you your name. It's one thing for people to not know who you are. It's another thing for people to know who you are and then deny that they know you. Last week, we began looking at uh, John chapter 18. So if you have your Bibles, you can, uh, you can turn there, John chapter 18. We've returned to our study of the Gospel of John. And uh, Jesus uses the metaphor of drinking a cup He says, Father, let this cup pass from me. He doesn't want to drink the cup. And I told you last week that I think that the cup represents the wrath of God. Most Bible theologians would say that. They would say that the cup represents the wrath of God against sin. And we're going to talk about that in in the days to come in one specific Sunday. But I also said that the cup contained several bitter experiences that Jesus would have to undergo in the hours that lay ahead of him. And last week we began by saying that the the cup that Jesus drank had the bitterness of betrayal in it, that Jesus was going to have to drink the cup of being betrayed by someone that he probably considered a friend, probably was a friend, and this friend was going to violate that trust and betray him for money. This morning we see the cup consist of hurt brought from a, from a different friend than that one. And this time, it's, it's the denial of the relationship. The bitterness that Jesus would have to, to drink would be that someone would disown him. And I said last week, and I repeat it this morning, that, uh, that both, in both cases, there is a sense of betrayal. But I want to see today as somewhat different than last Sunday. Most of us would not betray the Lord Jesus for money, Right? But uh, way too often, we're like Peter, and we deny him, we're quick to deny him before others. So our text is John chapter 18. We're going to pick up in verse 12. If you want to follow along, I'll be reading from the Christian uh, Standard Bible. Then the company of soldiers, the commander and the Jewish officials, arrested Jesus and tied him up. First, they led him to Annas, since he was the father-in-law of the Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jews that it would be better for one man to die for the people. Simon Peter was following Jesus, as was another disciple. The disciple was, that disciple was an acquaintance of the high priest, so he went with Jesus into the high priest's courtyard. But Peter remained outside, standing outside by the door, so the other disciple, the one Known to the high priest, went out, spoke to the girl who was the doorkeeper, and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl, who was the doorkeeper, said to Peter, You aren't one of the man's disciples too, are you? I am not, he said. Now the servants and the officials had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing there warming themselves, and Peter was standing with them warming himself. 
The high priest questioned Jesus about his disciples and about his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus answered him. I have always taught in the synagogue and in the temple where all the Jews congregate, and I haven't spoken anything in secret. Why do you question me? Question those who heard what I told them. Look, they know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officials standing by slapped Jesus, saying, Is this the way you answer the high priest? If I have spoken wrongly, Jesus answered him, give evidence about the wrong, but if rightly, why do you hit me? And then Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself and said to him, you aren't one of his disciples. They said to him, excuse me, you aren't one of his disciples too, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the high priest's servants, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, said, didn't I see you with him in the garden? And Peter denied it again. Immediately, a rooster crowed. That may have seemed like like a long, long time ago, but it's just been hours as far as the time clock goes and chronology since, since Peter had proclaimed his undying loyalty to Jesus. You'll remember that he said, it doesn't matter what other people will do, I will, I will follow you to the end. And Jesus said, before the morning arrives, you're going to deny me three separate times. And based on what we just read, we see that Peter did deny Jesus just as Jesus had prophesied he would. And I would imagine that this particular failure would haunt Peter. I don't think it would haunt him his whole life because of what Jesus would do, but I would imagine if he's anything like me, that that he would be remembering this for a long time and his failure. Years later, but this wouldn't be the only time Peter would fail. He would fail a a number of years later in this particular time, Peter, I mean, Paul would rebuke him for doing very much the same thing, denying Jesus again. You say, well, I don't remember that story. Well, it kind of goes like this. He's hanging out with his Gentile brothers in the Lord, and then when some Jewish folks come down, he pretends that he doesn't know them and he doesn't eat with them. And if you remember, Paul rebukes him to his face and says, man, you're acting like a hypocrite. So there is an essence in which Peter was sort of denying the Lord Jesus all over again by not being faithful to what he knew Jesus would want from him. You probably already know this, but Peter was impetuous. He was quick-spoken. He would speak off the cuff, and he would often say what was on his heart without really thinking about it. And evidently, that's what, uh, that was what happens here when Peter says that he would not deny the Lord, but it also is what happens here when he does deny the Lord. And, uh, and it's funny, in our prayer meeting this morning, Fred, you were... You were saying or, or praying some of the very lessons that I want to point to us this morning. The encouraging thing about Peter for all of us, listen to this, this is really true, the encouraging thing about Peter is that when we blow it, God still loves us. God still loves us, doesn't give up on us, doesn't, doesn't cast us off. He is not finished with us. And Dick, just remind, just remind something you often say, at least you say to me, the end of the story is not written. And that's true. Even in our failures, the end of the story is not written. I think it's a testimony to the reliability of the Bible that stories like this about Peter's failures 
are found there. Because really, if someone's trying to present a story that's false and, and making it perfect, they would not include the flaws and the failures of, uh, of the men who would represent that movement. And yet the, their flaws are, are presented here with uh, you know, no embellishment. I mean, they tell it the way it is. And so that speaks to the reliability of our Bibles, right? Maybe not necessarily it's, it's absolute truthfulness, but they speak to the reliability of the counts that are written there. Now, for those of us who follow Jesus, for many of us anyway, we hold to the fact that the Bible is given to us without error. And so we find it to be not just reliable, but to be our, our source of authority from the Lord. Now, before we look at this, this episode in depth, I'd like to point out three things about Peter. One is he's undoubtedly the leader of the group all along. He's the, un, he's the leader by his just, uh, his ability to step out first, his, first his speaking up. Uh, you'll remember that even after his failure, he seems to remain the leader. He's the one who runs to the tomb with John and finds the tomb empty. He's the one who speaks up at Pentecost just 50 days from now and, and preaches that first message in front of thousands. The second thing I want you to know about Peter is that he was in Jesus' inner circle. There were 12 disciples that Jesus chose, but of those 12, there were three of them that seemed to, to hang out with Jesus more often than the others. They were invited into, if you would, an inner uh, intimacy that the other guys didn't seem to, to get, and Peter was in that group. We saw him at the Mount of Transfiguration being part of three. We see him again in the Garden of Gethsemane being pulled aside with the same three men. And then finally, the thing I want you to note about Peter, even as we look at this particular incident in his life, is I want you to notice his monumental faith. And you say, wait a minute, we're looking at his monumental failure. That is true. But do not forget that it was Peter that jumped out of the boat and walked on water. We tend to forget that. And even then, remember he began sinking. And what do we remember about Peter? Oh, he began sinking. But we don't remember the fact that he's the guy that got out of the boat. He's the guy that wanted to get out of the boat. He's the guy that got out of the boat and walked on water for at least a little while. And he's the guy who, in the end of his life, would not recant Christ, but would be crucified upside down for the Lord Jesus. So I don't want you to forget that Peter had a monumental faith, and it carried him all the way to the end. However, it is Peter who puts the the denial in the cup that Jesus would have to endure in these final hours. So what I'd like to do this morning for just a few more minutes, actually, is, is I'd like to look at this episode, and I'd like to, to draw out five lessons for us from, from this denial that Peter uh, gave Jesus. I'd like to pull out five lessons that I think are really germane for all of us, that are really helpful to all of us. And, and since the, the story of Peter's denial is found in all four Gospels, I'm going to draw these lessons from, from a, if you would, a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, from a harmony of all of, of the stories of Peter's denial. So let's dive in. Five lessons for you and me today from Peter's denial in this cup that Jesus had to drink. Here's the first one. You are never too spiritual to fail. You are never too godly to collapse at some point in your life. I'm pretty convinced that Peter never thought in a thousand years that he would deny the Lord Jesus. And I'll bet you if, if this had happened hours earlier and a bunch of men had barged in the door, a thousand men barking this order, deny Christ or die, I bet you Peter would have died. I bet you he would have chose death at that moment. His heart was full of courage. 
Here's, Luke, here's what Luke says earlier in the evening. He says, Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, Simon, Simon, look out. Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Lord, he told him, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. I tell you, Peter, he said, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. I'm confident that Peter meant every word, aren't you? Don't you? You think he was faking that? You think he was lying in his heart that he really believed that he would deny the Lord? No, he really meant that. But Peter didn't know this verse that James would pen later. Maybe James would pen this verse because of what would happen here with, uh, with Peter. But James would, would pen this verse. He'd say, be careful when you think you stand, finish it lest you fall, right? And maybe James was thinking back about Peter, you know, in this very night when Peter said, man, I'll never fall, but he did. He says, be careful when you think you stand, lest you fall. But Peter would have known this verse in the Proverbs, pride goes before a fall. So when you think you have it, be careful. You don't. We're all too much like Peter. We think that everyone else struggles, but that we don't struggle. But even in the struggles that we have, we think we could never, ever Deny the Lord. We feel like we can never fail the Lord. Gordon McDonnell was a, a, a man of God and still is a man of God who pastored a very large church in New England and he committed adultery. Later on, he wrote this, I knew that I was incapable of adultery. If you do not understand that you are a candidate for failure in any area of sin, every sin, you are setting yourself up for failure. I don't mean just to repeat myself to repeat myself, but I want to repeat that. If you don't understand that you are a candidate for failure in any particular sin, then, then you are setting yourself up to fail. Now, I'm not trying to say this morning that you ought to go around with this woe is me sort of attitude, I'm going to fail. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that you need to recognize that you are not invincible and know that you are vulnerable to falling in any particular area. I remember when I was a young Christian and, and one of the heroes of my faith back then, you know, and we, we tend to put musicians on pedestals and, and I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with that. And it wasn't just that he was a musician, it was who he was in his person. But Keith Green, for those of you that are my age and have been following Jesus for as many years as I have, you remember Keith. And, uh, and one of the things that Keith, one of the songs that Keith penned that I remember just resonated with me and actually helped me, he called it Grace by Which I Stand. I want to read you a stanza from it. I know that I would surely fall away except for grace by which I'm saved. Lord, I remember that special way. I vowed to serve you when it was all brand new. But like Peter, I can't even watch and pray one hour with you. I bet I could deny you too, but nothing lasts except the grace of God by which I stand in Jesus. And I remember that song just sort of riveted itself to my heart that I could fall and fail and that I would, but the grace of God would, would keep me. Peter's courage was genuine. He just misunderstood that it's not by power and not by might. It's not by me grunting it out, but it's by the Spirit of God as I yield to him that I can remain faithful to him. Lesson number two, the enemy's tactics, and these are from the story, I think. I think I'm being faithful to the story. The enemy's tactics are meticulous, they're meticulous, and they're small, and they're one blow at a time. They come at us one little small thing 
at a time, but time after time after time. If the first lesson I just shared with you is on the potential for spiritual failure, this lesson would be on how the enemy defeats us or how he wants to defeat us. And this is the lesson of Peter's life. The collapse of courage or faith usually doesn't come with one big blow. It usually doesn't happen if something, like if somebody was, I mean, I'm not saying this would happen to us, but if someone, heaven forbid, if we were been one of those uh, Egyptian Coptic Christians, and you know, and it's deny Christ or die, I'm hoping that we would be able to die in those moments. We'd be willing to do that big blow thing, right? But, but the enemy doesn't doesn't deal with most of us like that. It's kind of like this small sort of constant pounding until, until we break. And I think that's what you see in Peter's life. Now I want to go back to Matthew's gospel here. This is Matthew 26, and feel free just to listen, but it's Matthew 26, 57 and 58, and 69 to 75. It's the same story, but listen to Matthew. Those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had convened. And Peter was following him at a distance, right to the high priest's courtyard. He went in, was sitting with the servants to see the outcome. Now I'm jumping ahead. Now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl approached him and said, you are with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. Then he had gone out to the gateway. Another woman saw him and told those who were there, this man was with Jesus the Nazarene. Then again, he denied it with an oath. I, I don't know the man. After a little while, standing, uh, those standing were approached. Uh, those standing there approached and said to Peter, "You really are one of them, since even your accent gives you away." And then he started to curse and swear with an oath, "I don't know the man." And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the words Jesus has spoken before the rooster crows, "You will deny me three times." And he went outside and wept bitterly. Now, let me see if I can't just sort of combine the stories for us. I'm going to harmonize all those different accounts because they're all slightly different. But if we harmonize them, this seems to be the picture of what happened. Peter is following with another disciple after Jesus has been arrested. And when they get to the high priest courtyard, if you would, the other disciple gets to go in because he's known to the gatekeeper. And uh, tradition says it was John the Apostle that actually went in, but, but there have other, been some suggestions that it was others. I, I want to go with tradition and say it was John. He sold fish. They, you know, there's a good chance that he knew the folks there in the courtyard. So he gets in, and he comes back, and he, he vouches for Peter, and, and Peter gets in. And when he gets in, the maidservant who's been at the door, she confronts him. She confronts some other people and says, you know what, well, you're one of his disciples. And he denies it, doesn't, doesn't, he doesn't make a big deal about it, but he denies it. And, um, and, and one man points out that most people at this point, after you've been recognized, you're going to leave, right? But Peter doesn't leave. H.G. Wells once said, a man may be a terrible musician, but passionately in love with music. And no matter how Peter failed, he was evidently passionately in love with Jesus. And he won't leave. He doesn't leave. He evidently retires to a porch area. I don't know where that is, but it's somewhere in the courtyard. And uh, he's able to hear and see what's happening. If we go back to John's account, we read that they're interviewing Jesus. Evidently, Peter gets to hear this. He gets to see Jesus at some distance. And they're interviewing Jesus. And, and the high priest asks him, he says, hey, he says, tell me about your disciples and about your teaching. You remember Jesus says, 
hey, listen, I've done everything publicly. You go ask other people, and they hit him for that. And, and you know, this is going to be the enemy's way of, of just putting a little bit more fear in Peter's heart. They're asking about his disciples. They've just struck Jesus. You know, so Peter's there listening to this. And while he's standing there listening, evidently the same maidservant combining the accounts with another lady comes up, and they confront Peter, now two of them. And they confront Peter again about uh, his relationship to Jesus. This time he denies him again, but he doesn't just deny him. He adds an expletive on it. And he curses, or he doesn't call down anything on himself, but he, he adds an expletive. And that's what we do, isn't it? We, we, we add some, not we, hopefully we as believers guard our tongue, right? But that's what people in general, when they want to make something real, I mean, they want to say, I'm really, I'm really truthful here. They say, blankety blank, you know, whatever. That's what Peter does. He curses, or he, he uses an expletive to say, I don't know him. And somewhere along the line here, the cock has crowed, the rooster has crowed already, and Peter, so, so here, here's the point I want you to see. These things are so subtle, I don't even think Peter gets, he's not making the corollary between his denial of Jesus, I mean, his, his statement earlier that I'll never deny you that I'll die. He doesn't even see what he's doing. And first it's just this little maidservant who confronts him and he denies him. And now it's two ladies deny, confronting him. And then the third time, the third time uh, he's there with a bunch of people and they, they, they say, hey, you're one of them. One guy says, I saw you in the garden. Another guy says, your accent gives you away. This time he calls down curses on himself and he says, I don't know him. And the, and the rooster crows and all of a sudden, the weight of what he's done, it becomes, it becomes real. I mean, he gets it. He gets what he's just done. And then according to one of the counts, he turns and he looks at Jesus. And this, the account says that Jesus did what? Anybody remember? Turns and looks at him. And their eyes certainly met. And uh, boy, I tell you what, it, can you imagine that moment? Kind of like a surgeon's scalpel just slicing you wide open is the conviction of the Spirit that Peter has just denied the Lord and his collapse has, has been complete, just like Jesus said it would. And, and then Matthew's account, I believe it was, that Peter left, couldn't stay anymore. He left and he went outside weeping, you know, weeping. And I imagine he was weeping so hard um, but here's the point that I want you to get. P Peter, Peter doesn't deny Jesus. I mean, Peter first denies Jesus to a little servant girl, and he doesn't even see the correlation between his denying Jesus and, and his promise. doesn't even see it there. Then it's a couple more, and, and, and then it's the big one, and then, and then he reckons. My point is that's the way Satan, that's the way the adversary works in our life. It's usually not a big thing. It's the little things. It's the little compromises. It's the little choices that we make that end up leading to the big denial somewhere down the road. I wonder how many times we're in the moment and we deny Jesus by our silence or by our apathy. And then with the curse of reason, we somehow justify ourselves. We don't even realize that we've denied him in what we've just done. You know, someone's at work saying something where we just know we should speak up, but we don't. 
because we don't want to stand out. We don't want to be different. We don't want people to think that somehow I'm weird because I'm not going along with your joke or I'm, you know, I'm confronting what you're saying. Start it off small and, and grows to the place where, where, he, where he fails big. Or he's failed all along, but he's failed as Jesus said he would. Our adversary knows that if he comes on too strong, listen, I think this is true, he will scare us into obedience. So instead, of, instead he lulls us into failure. You know, if he comes on too strong, he's going to startle us into obedience. So he kind of comes on strong and lulls us into, uh, into failure. He knows that if he, if he jumps too quickly, we're gonna be like a deer, we're gonna bolt. But if he, if, we come, if he comes in subtly, we tend to stay there until it's too late. I remember as a boy crabbing, my, uh, my grandfather lived on, uh, on one of the tributaries off of the Pocosin River, I think it is. And Anyway, I would go down to his dock and I would crab. Anybody remember this? So you'd take a chicken bone, chicken leg, and you'd tie a string to it, and then you'd put it over, and right away, you know, somewhere in that murky water, that crab would get it, he'd pull it, and then you'd slowly pull it back. Y'all remember this? So and then you have your crabbing net. And the, and the crab's right up at the surface now. But if you move your net in too fast, the crab lets go and swims away. So you got to come really slow. And then when you get close enough, boom, you scoop him up. Well, that's kind of, that's the, that's the enemy's, that's the enemy's tactic with us. Coming slow, lulling us into, until boom, we, we fail and we don't even realize it. One of my favorite movies years ago was, uh, was First Night, and I used to show a clip of this, and it was either Martha or it was Augusta, I don't remember which, and I would show the, the clip, so for those old-timers that have been here for a long time, y'all remember this, so King Arthur, he's going to bow before, I can't remember the dude's name, but the other night, he's going to bow before him, he's like, he's surrendering, and all of a sudden he jumps up and he says, fight, 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 and, and fight for, uh, what's the place, the... Uh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, fight for Camelot. I don't, I don't claim to have any memory, all right? So anyway, um, but I do remember this. So I would show that clip a lot, and I remember it was either you, was it you? One of y'all said, Jimmy, please don't show that clip again. So I never have. Instead, I'm going to tell you about it. But no. Uh, but there's another clip from First Night that I really loved. I mean, it really illustrates this point. In First Night, you remember Lady Guinevere is in love. She loves King Arthur, Okay. And she marries him, but she's in love. She doesn't know it, but she's in love with Sir Lancelot, who rescues her. And if in the movie you remember, Lancelot keeps pursuing her, pursuing her, but she's faithful to Arthur. And Lancelot now is about to leave, and and she gives him one goodbye kiss. But that goodbye kiss doesn't stop with just that one, and it leads them uh, to moral failure there. And she had resisted so well But ultimately, the constant pounding led her to give up. That's how the enemy works in our lives, everyone. And we've got to be aware of it. We've got to fight against it as hard as those. We've got to recognize it. Got to recognize it. So here's my point. The enemy pounds continually. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't let him win. Be steadfast. Be unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Here's my third lesson from Peter's failure. If you fail, you must choose to return and not run away. Peter denied Jesus, but he didn't run away. Judas betrayed Jesus, 
but he did run away. Peter obviously came back to, his, to the other disciples. What did he say to them? I'm sure he confessed to them his wrong. I'm sure he confessed to them what he had done. And, and they obviously forgave him. I'm sure in the mind of Peter was, can Jesus forgive me? Can, can I forgive myself? But Judas went out and hung himself because the weight of his shame was immense and the guilt of his actions was great. But instead of owning it and confessing it and returning, he went out and killed himself. Now let's be honest. Let's be honest. When you fail... When you fail and the shame is great and the guilt is heavy, we have a tendency to not want to go back in with God's people. We don't want to, we don't want to own our shame with each other. We don't want to own our guilt with each other. And it's just hard. And sometimes it's easier to run away than it is to face uh, the shame of our failure. Can I say this to our church, to us church, is this, is, we need to not be agents of compounding guilt and shame. What I mean by that is, I mean, our, our shame, when Adam and Eve failed in the Garden of Eden, remember the first thing they felt was shame. They, they had shame. They had guilt. I guess they had guilt. We're a guilt culture, but many places in the world, shame culture, they had shame. And they were filled with shame. And you remember they, they went, and what did they do when God came looking for them like normal? They hid themselves from him. They didn't want to see him because they felt shame. That is the natural response when we fail. We, as the people of God and the family of God, we need to be agents of, of compassion and grace, helping people return rather than pushing them away by adding our own shame and guilt. Listen, even Jesus said, I didn't come to condemn. I didn't come to condemn you. I came to save you and to give my life as a ransom for all of you. And so, so here's, here's my point. Here's my point. When, when you fail, the lesson from Peter, coupling it with the lesson from Judas, is don't run, people. Don't run when you fail. Uh, come back to the Lord. Come to, remember in the story of the prodigal son? He's sitting in a far-off land, and he comes to his senses. You know, if you've failed, I get it. I get the shame. I know the shame. I know the guilt. Hey, but don't stay in the foreign land. Come running home. Come home. And you remember the story of the prodigal son, right? When the son is far off, what happens? When the son is still far off, the father runs to him. I'm telling you, now he doesn't run until the son is coming back. Remember, he stays at home. He's always looking, but when the sun stumps coming, the father runs. That's what we need to recognize that. And listen, when people are far off and they're and they're and they find their way back in their shame and guilt to somehow find their way back to us, let's run to them. Let's just run to them and be agents of compassion and goodness and helping them find their way back to full healing and repentance. Number four lesson: God is the God of the second chance. And there is forgiveness in the Lord Jesus. If there is a lesson that we should run, uh, learn, this is the lesson that, that Fred was talking about this morning in the prayer time. If there is a lesson from Peter's life, it's this one, that God is willing and wanting to forgive us and give us the second and the third and the fourth chance. One of the, the best verses in the Bible would be Luke 24, 34. Here it goes. The Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. You get that? The Lord has truly been raised and he's appeared to Simon. 
Paul would talk about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at the beginning. He would say he appeared to the 12 and he appeared to Peter. So what happened in that, in that encounter? We don't really know what happened. I assume that Jesus embraced Peter. I'm assuming that it was a compassionate, tender, forgiving moment for Peter. I doubt there was any word of rebuke. And I really doubt, don't you, that Jesus said, I told you so, Peter. I kind of don't think he needed to do that. And I kind of don't think that's what we would do, right? Say, I told you so. I don't think that's what he would do. But isn't that the lesson of Abraham and the lesson of Jacob and the lesson of Moses and the lesson of Job and the lesson of every character in the Bible? Isn't that the lesson that God is the God who continues to pursue us and love you? And listen, you may be here this morning and you may have failed hugely in the past. Here, I want to tell you something. God is pursuing you. God wants you to come back to him and run to him. He's, now listen, he doesn't leave, in the story of the prodigal, he doesn't leave home. It says he goes to the edge of his property and he's always looking. But when he sees his son, picks up his robe and he runs something old men don't do. He runs. And, and God is the God of the second chance. He's the God of the second chance for Adam and Eve. If you sin, you will die. But he gave them a chance to live again. I mean, he's the God of the second chance all throughout Scripture. And I just wonder this morning, do you need a second chance? Seriously, do you need a second chance? Are you here this morning and, and you have failed and you come hiding in your guilt and shame and you don't tell us about it, but between you and God, there's this huge shadow and you're living in the penumbra of that shadow. Man, I want to tell you, come into the light, come into the light and, and Jesus is just waiting to forgive you and restore you and cleanse you and just fill your heart with joy again. That's what he's waiting for. And number five, last lesson. If we do fail, if we do fail, the Lord wants us to learn from our failures, not wallow in them, learn from them, and press forward. So Jesus fails the Lord. I mean, excuse me, Peter fails the Lord Jesus. And uh, you remember this? Remember this? I, I, this was kind of neat. You remember that back when in Luke he tells him he's going to fail? He says, you're going to deny me. He says, when you have been restored, teach your brothers. Teach your brothers. Help your brothers. And then, and then after, so Jesus has already met with Peter, restored him. It's, it's getting near the end of the 40 days that Jesus is, uh, uh, is it for, yeah, 40 days that he's with them. He's getting to the end of that. You remember, they're out fishing. Jesus meets him on the shore, takes Peter aside. And, and three times he asks Peter, Peter, do you love me? And it was, obviously, it was obvious that he's, he's, he's referencing Peter back to his failure. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And each time Peter says, I love you. And then Jesus says pretty much this. Then Peter, take care of my people. Take care of, my, take care of the church. Be, be, the, be the man that I have called you to be. That's basically what he's saying to him. And here's the point, I think. Here's the point. Peter, that there is no more punishment for our sin. Jesus bore the wage of our sin, which is death. Jesus bore it. And, and there is no more punishment for us to pay. We like to think that we can 
pay for, make up for our failures by self-beating uh, ourselves in some way, whether it's emotionally in our mind or, or you know, I'm going to go and serve in a hard way to sort of make up for my failure. Guys, that's just, that's not what Jesus wants from our failures. It's not that self-beating up that he wants. What he wants is for us to take our failures and learn from them and move on from them and capitalize on them for something positive, if you would. And here's what I think he wants you to learn. Three things. One is not to do it again. I mean, let me, let's be honest now. I mean, Jesus, remember the woman caught at, uh, in adultery? What did he say to her? Go and sin no more. So he doesn't want us to fail again. So he wants us to learn from that. Beverly and I were having a conversation uh, this week, and Beverly, I was working on this, so I wrote it down as soon as you left. But she said to me, if I don't learn from my mistakes, what good is that? And that's true, isn't it? If we don't learn from our mistakes, our sinful failures, mistakes or sinful failures, not saying they're the same necessarily, but if we don't learn from them, what good is it? Jesus wants us to learn. Number two, he wants us to help our brothers and sisters who maybe have fallen like we have, right? And so if you know a brother and sister who's in trouble, who's fallen like you, then, or, or that you can help somebody, maybe they haven't fallen like you, but you just see it, you be their helper. You help them back. I think that's what he was telling Peter, feed my sheep, sheep, take care of my lambs. You help your brothers and sisters. And the third thing, and maybe there's not much difference between this and my second point, my second lesson is, but, you know, when a brother has failed and he's coming back, help him. I mean, help him in the failure, but then help him when he gets back to know he's forgiven. And you know how you do that? By not being an agent of guilt or being an agent of condemnation, be an agent of forgiveness and, clean, and, and just restoration. That's who you and I need to be. So I'm done. Maybe you're here this morning, and, uh, and you are Peter. You knew there was something that you would never do, but you did it, or you failed the Lord, or you denied the Lord in some way. And maybe you denied the Lord in some miserable sort of way, some terrible way, and you're wondering if Jesus can ever forgive you. I want to tell you without a doubt, absolutely he can. And not only does he want to forgive you, but he wants to restore you, and he wants to fill your heart with joy and a sense of peace again. So would you bow your head and just, this is between you and the Lord, this is your time to run to him. This is your time to, you know, I don't even care if you get up and run around the building, you're welcome to do that. But I'm metaphorically talking about running. This is your time to run to Jesus, to run to him in your heart, to know that if you have failed, um, he, is, he loves you and he wants you to run to him. If you've denied him in some way, then this is your opportunity to run to him in your heart. So would you do that? Just run to him right now. Cry out on your heart. You know, picture the prodigal son coming home and seeing the father run to meet him. And Jesus says, God is wanting to run to you and meet you. But it's you. You have to step forward now and run to him. Would you? Are you Peter today? Holy Spirit, you're, you're the one that brings conviction of sin, you say, and, and you're the one who brings conviction of righteousness. So would you, in this moment, for, for folks who have walked with shame and guilt from their failure, would you help them now by the Spirit to run to you, to release to let you cleanse them of the shame and the guilt and restore them with 
with joy and peace and, and just um, that cloud that separates them from you, that that would dissipate and they would feel you love them this morning. Would you grant that? Father, we thank you that our shame and guilt Jesus bore on the cross and with his death paid in full, you know, for our guilt and our sin, and you have promised us eternal life with you. And we look forward to the day, Lord, the day when, you know, you come and your kingdom comes to earth and your will is done on earth as it is in heaven. We say, come, Lord Jesus, we long for your return. I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening this week. If you have any questions, you can email them to Pastor Jimmy at baconscastle.com. Also, check out our website at baconscastle.com to get to know us and see what God is doing locally here in Surrey. Be blessed. Thank you.